0: Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. Welcome to our 11 o'clock service. Today we are in the Gospel of... Matthew. We've been in Matthew for about four or five months now, and we've been in Matthew because we're going through the Bible chapter by chapter and verse by verse. It's a great way for me to be able to to make sure that we cover it all. Uh, There's no verse that's not important in the Bible, so we want to make sure that we always cover it. Uh, We're going to continue what we call the Sermon on the Mount. It started back in chapter 5. It goes through this chapter. We're in chapter 7. The topic of my message is false teachers, It actually is a continuation of of sorts. The whole Sermon on the Mount is a continuation. Uh, But it's a continuation of what Jesus told us last week, which was one of the significant turning points in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, enter by the narrow gate. Remember, that was our topic, topic last week. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way that leads to life and there are few who find it. Now, because this way is narrow, because the gate is narrow, but the gate is, the way is also broad that leads to destruction, there are many that will encourage us to take the broad way, to take the way that leads to destruction. Now, they won't tell you it leads to destruction, but they'll encourage you to, to take a different way, to be accommodating. Don't you like that word? To be accommodating. Jesus should be accommodating. I'm, I'm wired a little bit differently. Jesus needs to uh, accommodate my peculiarity. Well, that peculiarity is often sin, and we need to call it sin. We need to understand what it is, but these false teachers will sometimes lead us astray. So we'll be reading from chapter 7 in the, in the uh, Gospel of Matthew, beginning in verse, t- ver- verse 15. It's in your scripture. It's in your bulletin. It's also on the screen. Jesus says this. He says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. Jesus continues in verse 21. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. You know, since the time of the early church, and actually we could go all the way back into the Old Testament, and we can see the prophecies of Jeremiah and, and Daniel and Ezekiel and, and Isaiah. Um, there have been false prophets, false teachers. And we have been warned against them. Israel was warned against them and we are warned against them. The, the apostles Peter and James and, and, and John and Paul all warned against false teachers. Jesus calls them wolves in sheep's clothing. And, and why are we warned? Well, Peter tells us this, he says, because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. So we know the source of this, the source of this teaching, the source of this this falsehood, this untruth, is actually coming from the pit of hell. That's where it's coming from. And it's a false teaching. Now, one of the reasons we need to be warned is because so many people want a broader, more accommodating way. Uh, they don't like the narrowness of, of what it means to follow Jesus. They, they want, as the saying goes, they want to have their cake and eat it too. Do people still say that? Have their cake and eat it too? Do you what that means? That means there are two things that are mutually exclusive, and you can't have them both. You can't eat your cake and then have your cake later to be able to serve to somebody else, right? You can't, you can't do that. You, you can't have this world... And Jesus, too. The saying we have is you can't act like the devil and still call yourself a saint. They're, they're mutually exclusive. It's, you know, it's kind of like, have you ever been to a Chinese restaurant where they say, no substitutions, right? Yeah. In, a, in a Chinese restaurant, you have to order something from column A and, and then column B. Uh, but there's no substitutions. And we try to do that. So many people try to do that when it comes to the Christian life. They, they want to they want substitute holy for convenient or accommodating. You see, there's only one simple problem with this false teaching, and that is that it's a, it's a lie. It's not the truth. It's the broad way, the accommodating way that it actually leads, Jesus said, to destruction. This message, this, this warning by Jesus that we have today is echoed by the apostles. The apostle Paul, for example, writes to the Galatians. He says this, he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live by, in the grace of Christ and are turning to a, a different gospel. Then he continues, he says, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into conf- confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. Who are these? These are the, sh- the wolves that are in sheep clothing. They-, they come inside the church and they're trying to pervert the gospel. They're-, they're, cha- they're giving you a different gospel. Paul says it's not the gospel at all. And the reason it isn't is because it's, it's some truth, but it's mixed with a, a lie. Likewise, John the Apostle writes, he says, who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. You know, at the, in the end times, there will be an Antichrist. We, we believe that. The Bible teaches that. There'll be somebody that will actually be inhabited by, by Satan. He'll be the last ruler. And he will be difficult to recognize as well. He he will look like a a wonderful person, somebody that, that can save the world, somebody that could be your friend, a world leader that finally gets it, but he's a wolf in sheep's clothing. Jesus says, beware of those who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. Now, the first step to combating these false prophets, at least to recognize that they're out there. If you don't know that they're out there, you're unaware. Sometimes you just go through life and not realize that there are people that are wolves in sheep's clothing. Now, why are they in sheep's clothing? Well, that's because they want to mingle with you. They want to look like you. They want to talk like you. they call themselves Christians. They, they may even wear a collar. They, churches, their places of worship may even have a, a cross on it. But you have to be very, very careful. Um, Now, Jesus is not referring in these passages to other religions. He's not referring to Muslims or Hindus or Buddhists or those who follow Baha'i, other religions like Satan worshippers or even atheists. Uh, They're really not the problem that Jesus is referring to because they're easy to spot. Uh, They're telling you they're not a Christian so that we know who they are. Now, here's the thing. No one, including these Buddhists, the Hindus, and Muslims, and atheists are going to heaven. We know that. And why is that? Because Jesus said he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. You see, the problem with them is not that they're Christians, okay? Not that they are not Christians. It's that they have sin. They have sin in their life, and the the promise that God made is that through Jesus Christ, our sins can be forgiven. But if they don't apply for that Covering, if they don't understand who Jesus is, they die in their sins. The only acceptable sacrifice for our sin is, is Jesus. So in, in talking about these Muslims and these Hindus and all these different people, have you, have you ever seen this sign? Have you ever seen this is the most stupid bumper sticker I've ever seen in my life. I control myself when I come behind a car and they've got this sticker on it. This coexist. W- what is this supposed to mean? Is this supposed to mean somehow that all these religions are the same, that it doesn't matter what you believe? As long as you're sincere about it, that's all that no, you can be sincere and be sincerely wrong. You see, what's interesting is this this symbol actually started with the three major religions. you have You have uh, Muslim, the crescent, okay, Islam. Is, is the one. Then you have the Star of David in the middle, and then you have the cross, which looks like a T. And they made it coexist. Now some Yahoo decided to add a few others. So so what they added is is they added the they added the um, uh, the E. Okay, the first of all the peace sign. You Love that. Okay, I you know I, <laughs> I grew up in the sixties and seventies, so you know I'm all for peace and love, and that's all that's all great. So they added the peace sign, and, and then they added this. E sign, which is for energy. But the thing was, is this was started about 25, 30 years ago. It meant energy. But notice there's a little plus and a little sign, the sign for male and female. So now there's a movement, whether you know it or not, there's a movement where basically men can be women and women can be men and men can be pregnant and... uh, Who's a woman? Nobody knows anymore. It doesn't matter what your birth certificate says. It's kind of like what you're feeling like today. So this has been embraced as well by the people that like that. The I, the Y is a pentagram symbol. It actually stands for a Wicca. And the S is actually a yin and yang sign. It represents kind of all Eastern religions. Now, the thing is, is that this message is false. These religions are actually mutually exclusive. It isn't just Jesus that says he's the only way. That also is the message from Islam. Islam said that you have to embrace Muhammad. Muhammad is the last prophet, and they're ready to conquer the world through, through jihad. It's a, it's a dangerous religion. The path uh, Muslims believe that the path of jihad is noble, but it is, it is not. Wicca is a form of modern paganism. The leaders in Wicca are often called witches, and they openly embrace demonic forces. So we know who they are. Now, Judaism is a religion that we understand. We have common roots with Judaism. We love our Jewish brothers and sisters. We have a common history. However, they rely on the law. We rely on grace. They're mutually exclusive, by the way. Not only law and grace, but you can't be looking forward to the Messiah if you embrace that the Messiah has already come. They're mutually exclusive. You can't have your cake and eat it too. These are mutually exclusive. Zechariah says this, speaking of the Jews, God still has a plan for the Jews. Zechariah says, and I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for the firstborn. God has a plan for the Jews. They've always been his chosen people and God still has a plan for the Jews. So let's move on. We'll go to the next piece and we'll talk about fruit. I like fruit. Don't you like a nice piece of fruit from time to time? I do. Jesus says this. He says, you'll know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? This is a rhetorical question, by the way. You don't have to answer it. The answer is no. Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, and a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire therefore by their fruits you will know them thrown into the fire this refers to the destruction that jesus talked about with the broad way that way looks good it looks accommodating but at the end is destruction this is referring to the false prophets jesus said you'll know them by their fruit like i said i like fruit there's a lot of fruit in the bible There's a thing called the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit, one singular fruit of the Spirit, but there's nine fruits that are attached to it, and I love these. Paul says in in Galatians chapter 5 that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are the fruits that we want to see from the out coming, uh, the outgrowing of a person that's turned his life over to Jesus. This is, these are the fruit that I want my neighbors to have, right? This is the fruit that we want our children to have. This is what we want. And Jesus says, you'll know these false prophets by their fruit. Oh, by the way, you know, Jesus talks about false prophets and we talk about false teachers. And the reason is is because the this word, this word in Greek uh, for false prophet is pseudo-profitus. Pseudo, prophetas, pseudo prophetas, Okay, we know what pseudo means means false, and prophetus is the, the word, the operative word here. Now a prophet often we think is somebody that's speaking oracles about what's going to happen in the future. And that is the role of the prophet, but it's actually a very, very minor piece of what they do. If you read through the prophets of the Old Testament, both the major prophets and the minor prophets, typically what they're saying is what God has already said. They're reminding the people, just like your your pastor is, just like your common teachers are, or your, your teachers in the church are, of what God has already said. That's the role of the prophet. And Jesus is saying there are false teachers in the church, and you'll know them by their... Fruit. So here's my summary of the fruit. First of all, these false teachers, their fruit is rotten. Have you ever picked up a, a, a peach or a pear or an apple or a tomato? I love tomatoes. And you look at it, it looks beautiful, and you bite into it, and you have to spit it out. It, it is rotten. You can't tell sometime from the outside how good the fruit is. The fruit is actually rotten. They encourage people to live immoral lives. This is what is meant by shameful ways in the Bible. Shameful means the way of immorality, the way of the flesh. When the Bible talks about the way of the flesh, it's talking about appealing to our sinful nature. It's the broad way that Jesus talked about. It's the broad way. It's the accommodating way. They take the love of God, these false teachers, and they, and they twist it. They say things like this. God is so loving that he would never condemn anyone to hell. God is so loving, they would never condemn. Well, that's not what the Bible says. In Romans chapter two, uh, Paul says, you who brag about the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed because of you. And this is what happens. These false teachers put some scripture, they put some truth in it, but they're actually blaspheming God because they're putting words into, into God's mouth. Let's go on to the second one. False teachers say that the, Fruit actually doesn't matter. Uh, That a person can actually be a Christian without any of this fruit. They don't have to repent. They don't have to change their lives. They don't have to separate from the world. They don't have to deny or control the flesh. They can just call themselves a Christian. In essence, what they're saying is that sin, as defined by the Bible, as defined by the Word of God, is actually irrelevant. It It doesn't matter. Uh, Of course, what this is, is nothing more than a license to sin. Sin Paul said, he said, um, should I keep on sinning so that grace should abound, right? Because if grace covers sin, should I just keep on sinning? Paul's saying, of course not. We have to understand that we're forgiven, but we're forgiven in order to live a different life. You can come to Jesus with all of your sins, but over time, Jesus will start working on your life and your fruit, will come out. It'll be a change. You're, you're a changed person. And as a result, you have changed. You don't keep your old sins. You, they're forgiven and you start changing who you are. The third thing, false teachers embrace the popular. We're going to talk about this. The popular and common sin. Did you know that some sins are popular and some sins are not? Some sins are embraced by the world and some sins are still sin, according to the world. It's crazy. You know, this goes all the way back to, uh, to Paul's day, Paul said this, he says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetousness, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. You see, some, over time, some sins become more popular than others. Some sins are acceptable. And we accommodate those sins. A a false prophet is one who proclaims, this is what God says. This is what the Bible actually says. You know, we we heard that from Jesus. Jesus says, you've heard it said, but I tell you, these false prophets are doing basically the same thing. You've heard those pastors say that this is a sin, but I'm telling you, this is what the Bible actually says. Remember, Jesus said that these people appear as sheep. They deceive because they look more like sheep than the wolf that, they've actually, that they actually are. Now, here's just one example. I'm going to spend a little time on this. Excuse me. Just one example. Just one example. There are many things I could do, but I, but I had to go down this path. Um, there's a thing called the inclusive church movement. Have you heard of the inclusive church movement? It, it sounds great. It sounds like something we wanna sign up for, but be careful. An inclusive church is one who welcomes all types of people. People who might otherwise be rejected for reasons of class, race, sexual orientation, or age. These churches try, sometimes with difficulty, to live out Paul's statement that there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, but all are one in Christ. Sounds good, doesn't it? I mean, they're using some scripture there, and they're trying to be welcoming. Well, here's the thing. Their idea about inclusive is embracing what the Bible clearly calls sin. Now, they've talked about all different kinds of people that they want to embrace, but they're really not embracing the disaffected, the disoriented. They're not embracing the poor. They're not embracing those that are rejected by some people in society. They're really embracing those who have sexual perversions. That's what they're after. They're really after those people that don't understand that there's, God has a limit on where sex is to begin and where it is to end, that sex is be between a man and a woman under the covering of marriage, and everything outside of that is immoral. So let's just call the teaching out. For example, this is their churches. They have this flag, this wonderful rainbow sign that's now been absconded by gay pride, and they put the flag out showing that they're inclusive. Well, actually what they're doing is they're advertising for a particular popular sin and saying we embrace that type of sin. Here's another example. Like I said, even some of the people with collars will embrace this and they'll show you that they embrace it by broadcasting this, this rainbow, which stands for gay Pride. By the way, did you know that the Bible calls pride a sin? I mean, pride is a sin. It said, the Bible says that pride precedes a fall. That being proud is nothing more than being ha- haughty. It's one of the things that God hates. He doesn't like the proud heart. He wants us to be, to be humble. How do you like to go to this kind of church? Go to the church and, and, and every, every window, every, just all over the place, they have these flags advertising the kind of sin they don't call it sin. The kind of people that they embrace. You see, what they've done is they've taken the word of God and they've now embraced a falsehood. These are ravenous wolves. You know, unfortunately, this in, this inclusive church move, movement it, it really focuses on on sexuality. Now, how would you like to be known by your sexuality? I mean, there's male and female, but that's not something I advertise. It is it is who we are. I, I mean. Their whole focus is on on this rainbow nation. So I'm going to quote a woman, and God bless her. I'm sure God loves her. Her name is Elaine. And I'm just going to quote her to give you an example of how subtle the message can be and how persuasive they can be. She says this. She says, so is homosexuality a sin? It depends, is my answer. The question is no longer gay or straight, but an issue of love in a relationship. First and foremost, this is the relationship is the relationship encouraging both partners' spiritual growth and relationship of love, of love. So she quotes Matthew 22. I love this. This is the scripture. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is love your neighbor as yourself. And the law of the prophets hang on these two commandments. That's the scripture. So they mix the scripture now with her explanation. And her explanation is there. He says, she says this. She says, therefore, sin is simply this. If I do not love God and put him first in my life, it's a sin. If I mistreat others or am prejudicial towards others, emotionally or physical, it's a sin. Love is the basis of God's law. You see what she did there? I mean, she's using the scripture, but she's then twisting it to accommodate a particular sin. It's very deceptive, pretty deceptive and clever. Sheep's clothing, a little truth with a distortion, is a whole lot of lie. A little truth with distortion is a whole lot of lie. Love does not mean accepting someone else's sin, or making excuses for them, or letting them destroy their life because you don't want to offend them. That's the opposite of love. You see, God loves everyone, and since everyone is a sinner, God loves the sinners. God loves the whole world. That's John 3.16. But it doesn't follow that God approves of our sin. Jesus died on the cross to forgive our sins, not to approve of it. Jesus calls us to love one another and to love our enemies as well. If we truly love them, we wouldn't want them to perish or be marching off into destruction. We would want the very best for them, and the very best for them is Jesus. The only hope we actually have is in Jesus and his redemption. The Bible says that we are to die to sin. In that essence, we are supposed to die to self. Regardless of what our urges are, regardless of what we feel God made us to do, we have to understand sin. You know, we understand this as mothers and fathers, as as husbands and wives. We understand that we have children. And if a child lies to us, Our job as a mother or a father is to correct the lie, not to embrace it. We don't want to have them approve of lying. Now, that doesn't mean we don't love them, but it means that our job as a parent is to correct them. Let's continue. Jesus says in verse 21, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. You know, Jesus says those who cry out, Lord, Lord. Now, this is a proper verbal confession. This is how we speak, right? Lord, Lord. This is how I start with my prayers. But Jesus says, just because you say it doesn't mean you are it. Just because you think you're a believer doesn't mean you're a, a believer. Jesus tells us that not everyone who refers to Jesus as Lord will enter the kingdom. Rather, it is those who do the will of God that are members of the kingdom. Those are those are the ones that are saved. Let's make sure we hear what Jesus is saying in the context. The context here is the false prophets. Jesus is referring to the prophets. They are the ones that are crying out, Lord, Lord. They're the ones that are saying, Lord, Lord, we've prophesied, we've cast out demons, we've done many wonders. But Scripture tells us something very important. Paul says to Titus, he says, that Jesus saved us, not because of the righteous things we've done. Lord, Lord, casting out demons, prophesying in your name, doing all these different things. That's not what saves us. We're saved by his mercy, He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal of his Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus in this is actually telling us something very alarming. And what he's telling us is it's, it's possible to fool ourselves into thinking that we're actually the sheep of his pasture, that we're actually following Jesus when we're actually following one of these wolves in sheep clothing. Now, when Jesus says this, he says, He says, on that day on that day they will say lord lord when when the bible in the new testament says on that day it's usually referring to the day of judgment it's the day of of judgments the end times when jesus is coming back on that day they'll say this but i'm telling you that they i never knew you and off to destruction they'll go this is the day of the lord jesus says there will be some that will complain there'll be some that say I, I thought I was okay. I thought I was in. I thought I was part of, part of the flock. Jesus says, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? You see, these things are very impressive in them, themselves, but don't be so impressed with the hocus pocus. Now, don't get me wrong. I've anointed many of you. I mean, that's one of the things we do. We anoint with oil, we pray, and we believe, and we see, we see healing. I don't, go pick a, I don't pick fights with the devil. I just don't do that. But I won't turn away from it either. We'll rebuke the devil when we need to. We'll prophesy. We'll teach when we need to. But it's not the hocus pocus. It's not the, it's not the theatrics that saves us. The thing that saves us is, is Jesus and a relationship with Jesus. And all of us, regardless of who you are, whether you're pastor or priest or pope or cardinal or whatever you call yourself, we all come to Jesus exactly the same way. We all come to him as, as broken sinners in need of redemption. And it's the blood of Jesus that, that covers us. Jesus tells us or told us earlier that it wasn't the impressive deeds that we'll know them, but by their fruit. Remember that? This fruit, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. You see, this is what it takes to be a Christian. It's by their fruit we'll know them. Jesus said that the will of the Father is to believe in the one that he sent. Now, the Apostle Paul makes it very, very clear what is it that actually makes us a sheep of his pasture. What is it that allows us to say, Lord, Lord, and for Jesus to say, I I know you? Well, Paul says this. He said that if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made to salvation. So these theatrics of casting out demons, exorcisms, spilling some holy water around, incantations, prophesying in English or unknown languages or wonders or saying be healed and having somebody be healed. These are theatrics. And even if the teacher, these false teachers are doing those things, they still could be false prophets because in their heart, they may not be fouling the one true Lord. You know, as I mentioned, when Jesus says in that day, it's a sign of the end times. And in the end times, Jesus says this in Matthew 24. He says, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on the earth? That's a scary verse, isn't it? Just as I said, we were talking about the broad way and the narrow way. It says, few will find it, and that, that shakes me to my core. Few will find it. How f- few is few? When Jesus says he's going to come back at the end times, and will he even find faith on the earth? This, this shakes me to my core, especially as a pastor. There's two things we need to remember. Jesus says, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name saying, I am Christ and will deceive many. Two things we need to remember is this. First of all, this passage from verse 15 all the way to 23 is talking about false prophets. Don't be worried. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, your salvation is secure. The Bible says that no one can snatch you out of his hand. Just stay on the path, continue to understand who Jesus is. Continue to die to self and live for, for God. Secondly, false teachers and false prophets have, have always existed. They've always carried on their destructive work, and they will continue all the way till the end. 2 Peter says this, but there have also been false prophets among the people, even as there will be false, prophet, false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who brought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. Bible says that these teachings by these false teachers are destructive. They've destroyed entire denominations. Do you realize that? We have churches, we have denominations in this country that once stood for Jesus, that understood what the Bible was, that they preached the word of God. They once were filled with Christian worship, but now they are void of the truth. And the reason they're void of the truth is because truth sprinkled with a little bit of lie is an entire falsehood an entire falsehood. Um, a little air, but it's still rotten. These false teachers have gone after and have achieved leadership positions in their churches and in seminaries. They become elders and deacons on Christian universities. Did you know that of the colleges that started in the United States, particularly those colleges that started 300 years ago, by the Puritans and by the Presbyterians and the Congregationalists and by the Episcopalians, they were Christian universities. Harvard and Yale were originally Puritan schools, Princeton, uh, was started by Presbyterians. They had rich Christian heritages. We sent our men there. We send women there now, but we sent men there to become preachers and pastors. Some of the greatest pastors in the United States back 200 years ago graduated from some of these schools. But today, uh, if you go to these schools, if you come out as a Christian, that's a wonderful thing. Because even if you went in as a Christian, they're going to do everything they possibly can to corrupt you and teach you falsehood. So what are we to do? I I want to leave you with some hope today. What, What are we to do? Well, here's the thing. Regardless of what the question is of what are we going to do, any question regarding spirituality, eternal life, true religion, sin, salvation, redemption, the answer is always the same. Seek Jesus. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. This is The closer we get to Jesus, the less likely we are to be misled by false teachers. Realize that they're out there. That's the first step. Realize that they're out there. Grow close to Jesus and you'll be able to see the falsehood. Jesus said you will know them by their fruits. Jesus is the good shepherd. We are the sheep of his pasture. In John chapter 10, Jesus says this, I love this. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall man pluck them out of my hand. Amen? Amen. That's our hope for today. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you. You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.